0: The back, or if you're on Facebook Live, there is someone on this stage, even though it is not bright. Um, I don't know if everybody knows that we have Facebook Live going every day. We do want you to still come and worship with us, but if you're sick or can't make it or out of town, Facebook Live. So turn around and wave to everybody right there in the middle. Hey, people. There's. It's a little dark. Uh, we love worshiping here in Sheridan, but that sometimes means that we have no idea what happens throughout the week, and then the lights don't work. So you know what? It's just part of the deal. Um, but have no fear, even though our wonderful worship leader, Ashish Baskaran, is a Packer fan, while he was leading worship, I snuck up and changed the lights to purple. So these lights aren't working, but the purple lights are, and you're at church, so the odds are good, right? We're not going to pray about anything out loud. So let's pray for our time together this morning, and then let's look into God's word together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for this opportunity to come here and to worship you. We thank you for this city that we get to be a part of loving in your name. We thank you for this school that we get to love in your name, Jesus. We thank you for the partnership we've had with Sheridan for nearly 10 years. God, we pray that you would continue to bless our relationship, that you would lead us to how we can empower the school, how we can make it a better place than it is when we come in. And God, we pray that your spirit would stay here and change the lives of these kids and this faculty and staff as they come here to learn throughout the week, even though some of the kids will probably be up very late tonight. God, please be with them. And we ask that you be with us now, Holy Spirit. Just speak to us. Use your word to open up our minds and our hearts to what you want to say to each of us. God, you love us. Help us to realize that in a new way today. You want us to grow, so convict our hearts of the things that you would long for us to have and be about in our life. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, classic for me is to do a little poll at the beginning. So I want to know who are the scary movie fans, the I tolerate them if someone I love wants to watch a scary movie, and then absolutely not, all right? So who's the scary movie fans? All right. I'm going to look at you for a second because I don't understand you. All right, and then the people who are like, if someone I love wants to watch it, but I might close my eyes, and okay. And then absolutely not. Yes, thank you. I am so glad, most of the time I do this poll thing, I'm on the small end of of it, I think. So thank you, I don't understand it. And if you would like to explain to me later why you get enjoyment from putting yourself in terror and fear, I will be happy to listen to you for a few minutes, but I probably will still not understand. I don't get it, I don't understand it, I don't understand the zombies, I don't know why there's a guy named Jason with a mask, I don't understand. Why you'd want to... I really don't understand vampires and zombies. What's with that? Some of you are like, ooh, back off my vampires. I get that. Listen, I'm not like against it for you. I just don't understand it, okay? I don't understand why you'd put yourself in a terrified position for entertainment purposes. This is just confusing to me because I'm just going to... This is a public service announcement for anyone who gets within my personal bubble. I do not like being startled I do not like being scared. I do not like when people jump out of closets. And if that were to happen to me, all I'm saying is there's no promises about how my reflexes might respond, okay? So if you end up with, you know, being popped in the face or something, you were warned. Don't jump out at me. And I certainly will not watch a TV show where something's going to jump out. Anyway, listen, honestly, I respect you if you're into it. I don't think there's anything, like, morally wrong with it. I just don't get it. But I've been thinking about why do people like this so much and I think in all seriousness it's because fear and being afraid and, and startled brings on a very strong emotions, doesn't it? And when you watch a scary movie, this is my best understanding of you all. When you watch a scary movie, you're overcome with emotions and you're like lost in the story. And I can understand loving being lost in a story. That's what I love about a good film or a good TV show is, or a good book is just getting lost in the story. So I'm like, okay, if you like being scared, then maybe it helps you get lost in the story because you're so on edge, and and fear is such a strong emotion, all right? So those of you who are into that, let me know if I'm kinda onto it or something. But it actually kinda makes sense. I think that's why this conversation we've been having these last few weeks where we're calling Do Not Be Afraid is so important. Because while there's nothing wrong with watching something that startles you or scares you for entertainment reasons every once in a while, when that type of emotion is coming upon you when you're not choosing it, when fear is something that's overwhelming you in your life in ways that are not funny and not interesting and not entertainment, it can have a very strong, overwhelming, sometimes controlling force in our lives. And I'm saying this to you as someone who has experienced fear that way in my life. I've experienced fear as something where even if I know it's there and I'm trying to work through it, it feels like it's controlling me. Like, it's holding me back, and I can't step into it. So this is why we're talking about this. This is why it's so important, because at the core of it, if we're being held back from something, then at the core, we could be held back from what God really wants for us in our lives. That's as simple as that. That's why we're talking about it. So quick review, if you haven't been with us. The first week, I talked about how fear is something that's often beneath the surface, and it's hard to acknowledge. And when it's hard to acknowledge, it means that sometimes we won't realize how much of a part of our life it is. And so we need to be honest with ourselves and God and other people to say, what are some of the areas of fear that are beneath the surface in my life or maybe right on the surface of my life so that I can begin to confront what that looks like in my life and begin to, most importantly, let God into it, let Jesus come into those spaces where fear is in our lives. Uh, Last week, Michael talked about how important it is to listen to Jesus' command where he says, do not be afraid, and then he says, take courage. And Jesus isn't saying just get over it, don't be afraid. He's saying courage is when you step into what you're afraid of even though you know that, there's, that you're afraid. It's still stepping into it. So the very important quote that came from last week was this quote, Courage is not the absence of fear, it's trusting Jesus in the midst of our fears. Courage is not the absence of fear, it's trusting Jesus in the midst of our fears. So today we want to look at a passage. It's actually one of the last stories where we see Jesus confronting the fear that his followers his disciples have he's confronting that fear and and in this way saying don't be afraid don't be troubled and um in this part of the story it's going to be luke 24 if you have a bible this is the last time he's talking to them before jesus leaves the earth so he's come back to life if i'm going to just kind of give you a, a lead up right to the story so while you're looking up luke 24 we'll have it on the screen but this is after jesus death and resurrection so he's come back to life and the first thing that he does when he comes back to life is he shows himself to uh, Mary Magdalene, a woman named Joanna, and a woman and his mother, Mary. And they're, they see him first. They're the first ones that Jesus appears to. And this is such an important fact, you guys, because it wouldn't make sense culturally for Jesus to allow the very first witnesses of the good news to be women. So Jesus is coming back from the dead, and he's making a statement right away. And he's saying, look, These women have seen me, and they go running back to the disciples to tell them. Well, then Jesus, he's not done with his um, popping out of nowhere thing. So he he starts walking down the road. Uh, Two of the disciples are walking to uh, Emmaus, and as uh, they're walking, another person comes up and starts talking to them. Well, it's Jesus, but for some reason, they're like spiritually unable to tell that it's him. And so they're walking and they're talking with him. They have no idea it's him. And they're talking about how crazy the last few days have been. And Jesus is like, duh, I know it was me. But they can't tell. So they get to where they're going and they sit down to have a meal. And Jesus breaks bread. And it's like, boom, God's spirit opens up their eyes so that they see that it's him. And they're like shocked, right? And then he disappears or something cool. And then... Those guys are like, whoa, so the women have come back saying we've seen Jesus alive. Now these other two guys have come back saying Jesus is alive. And they're talking with the other disciples. And uh, and at that time, I mean, disciples, there was the 12 disciples. There was the women that have traveled with them and probably a few others. And they're gathered together, and these guys are talking about what they've seen Jesus, that it, he was on the road, and then he ate the bread, and all of a sudden Jesus appears again. All right, And this is where we pick up the story. So we're in Luke 24. I'm going to read it for you. And we'll have it up here on the screen. So while they, these two disciples, were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Or don't be afraid. Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything to eat? I think that's a little weird, but... They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, And in the Psalms, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures, and he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power on high. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit coming to them in Jerusalem. And so right after Jesus says this, it's the end of the book of Luke, and it says that Jesus was blessing them like a rabbi would often do. And as he was blessing them, he was taken up into the sky. And that's it. So one of the last things Jesus says to them is, don't be troubled, don't be afraid, take heart, take courage. And why does he do this? He tells them when this happens, he shows up, And he says, why are you afraid? It is I. But what you notice is that he's acknowledging their fear. He's willing to say, nobody said, oh my gosh, I'm scared. He knows it. He sees it. He can feel it. He's Jesus. And he says out loud, why are you troubled? He's naming their fear. Jesus is willing to name their fear. Are we willing to name our fear? Because Jesus is. He doesn't get tired of doing that on their behalf. Because if you don't name it, we can't begin to move through it. And so Jesus names it. Why are you afraid? It is I. Okay, he asks that question. Here's what I'd be thinking. Oh, I don't know. Last time we saw you, you were facing public humiliation death, and you were dead, and now you're alive here with us. That's kind of scary. I kind of have some empathy for these guys. This is overwhelming, this reality. But Jesus notices that they're afraid, and so he says, look, you can see me here. You can touch me. I want to prove to you that I'm really here, that I'm not a ghost. And then he says the weird question, right? He says, do you have something to eat? And so I was thinking about this. Why would Jesus ask if there's something to eat? Maybe he's hungry, and that's it. Still seems a little odd that that was something that Luke noted. But I think the reason that Jesus asks for something to eat is because he's hoping that the disciples and these friends of his will see. You can see me. You can touch me. You can hear me. You're going to watch me taste something. You can smell something. I want your whole senses to be a part of this experience because I need you to remember this right now. I need you to remember and be absolutely sure that you saw me alive here in my body eating broiled fish, which, by the way, coming back from the dead, you'd wish something a little better for your meal. I just, in my opinion, but maybe some of you are broiled fish fans. But anyway, Jesus wants them to have uh, a complete, body experience, you know, mind, body, soul, connected experience. See him, touch him, feel him, smell the fish, watch him eat, eat with him so that they remember. He needs them to remember. It's crucial because he needs them to understand that they need to confront their fear. He needs them to engage their fear so that fear is not something that controls them. And I think it's crucial at this moment in this story because of what Jesus is about to do. So he says, why are you afraid? Let's confront this fear. I need you to remember that I'm here, that there's nothing to be afraid of because Jesus is about to give them their purpose and their mission. Jesus is about to remind them of their identity as witnesses, as people who get to be a part of what he's doing in the world. He's about to express to them their identity, their purpose, their mission, and what it means for them to be a part of what he's doing. And you cannot be motivated by mission if you are motivated by fear. You cannot be motivated by mission if you are motivated by fear. And Jesus knows this, and he needs them to get this. And so Jesus says, your mission, if you choose to accept it, is that you are witnesses to my ministry, to my miracles, to my words, to my life, my death, my resurrection, my standing here and eating fish with you. You are witnesses to this moment. And you will get to join my mission. And this mission starts right here in Jerusalem, but it will go to everywhere in the world. And look, 2,000 years later, we're here in northeast Minneapolis. And this one church has sent people to love people in Jesus' name all over the world over the last few years. To the Holy Land, to Romania, to Europe, to the... to. Um, the Indonesia, we've got a family right now. All these people are going to say we want to love our community in the name of Jesus. Jesus says here 2,000 years ago, it's going to start right here and go to the whole world. And I bet those guys thought it sounded nuts. But Jesus spoke these words, you will be witnesses of who I am to the whole world. And he was right. And he needed them to embrace this. Mission has to be the motivation, not fear. Not fear. If you're motivated by fear, you can't be motivated by mission. These things can't coexist. Okay, let me talk about this for just a little bit. Let's talk about motivation. This has actually been something I've been studying the last few years, this idea of motivation and what motivates human beings. And so I'm going to reveal to you for the first time a diagram that I've attempted to make. Okay, So if you put this diagram up, this is is my um, motivation triangle, all right? So it's a rough draft. So if anyone has any feedback, let me know. But I was talking with another pastor named Scott, and we were talking about this idea of different levels of motivation and what motivation looks like in your life. So if you can't read all of it, I'll read it for you in a second, but really what I want you to think about is, in my opinion, the things that are at the bottom of this triangle, the reason it's wider is because it's actually easier to be motivated by those things. And as we move to the top, That motivation is more important, but harder to actually motivate you to act or to move or to think differently, okay? So at the bottom, we have fear, guilt, and shame. So that's what we're talking about, being motivated by fear. The next, we have a sense of duty. The next one up is a personal need. So we have needs that we need to meet. That makes sense. We're motivated by that. Um, We're motivated by personal benefit. So we make decisions that are good for us and our family, right? Then the next level would be vision for the future. So something compelling that could be different or better about the future can motivate us. Purpose and calling, a sense that it is my purpose, it is your purpose and calling to step into whatever motivation we are feeling. The next level is identity, a deep sense of who you are and whose you are. And then finally at the very top is love, the most pure motivation that anyone can have, but the hardest to actually get and be motivated by in my opinion. So, I want to say, I don't think any of these are always a bad motivation. Even fear, you guys. I mean, if you're standing in a street and a car is coming at you and you're afraid, that is a good motivation. You should move, right? If you are, are you know, near a snake, or I don't know, we're not usually near those types of things, but uh, a dog is coming at you and it's barking and it's scary. Fear, good, run away, right? Fear actually has some real good purposes in our life at different times. I think that so does either guilt or shame when you think about specifically guilt. If you're guilty for something, you might feel motivated to make it right. You might feel motivated to go and to to tell somebody else I'm sorry or to to deal with whatever that thing is. Okay, Um, personal need, sense of duty. None of these things, these motivations are wrong in themselves. But here's what I want to suggest. Everything from this line down that I drew is a human motivation. A human motivation doesn't mean it's a bad motivation, but it's something that we can access on our own as humans. We can access this sense of duty. We can access a sense of need, right? Because it's good that we have a motivation to meet our needs so that we don't starve, right? So that's not bad, but I think everything here down is human motivation. I want to suggest that everything from the line up, I'm going to call it God's mission motivation. Now, it could be something else in different people's lives depending on their worldview, but what I want to suggest as Jesus followers, our distinct Christian response to motivation in our lives is that God's mission motivates us in these other ways. God's mission gives us a vision for the future. God's mission tells us something about our purpose and our calling in our lives. God's mission tells us who we are We are sons and daughters of God, and we are heirs to the kingdom of God. We have authority because of who Jesus is and Jesus sent us, and we can be motivated by love because we receive God's love because God first loved us, and so we can love other people. And I don't know about you, but I feel stuck in that human motivation sometimes. And there's seasons or experiences where I engage with God's mission, motivation, but it's harder in my opinion Because these ones down here can sometimes consume or overwhelm or feel as though they they really take over in your life. So let me talk about how Jesus speaks into this. I think Jesus speaks into God's mission motivation in some pretty clear ways. Let me just put some examples on the screen. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, like he says here in this passage. Jesus says, I am sending you. Do you hear how it's tapping into this other motivation? Jesus says, they will know you by your love for one another. They'll know that you're my follower. He says, my kingdom is near, this vision for the future. He says, you will do greater things than me. All things are possible. And most importantly, I will be with you. And here Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit coming to be with them. And then I think Jesus has some pretty specific things to say in regards to human motivation. Not to say that it's always wrong, but to speak into it. So put those up on the screen for me, Adam. He says, take courage, like we talked about last week. Jesus says, I will provide for your needs. Don't worry. Remember me when you're going through different trials. Jesus says, you are forgiven. And then he says, as we've been talking about, do not be afraid. Do you see how Jesus knows that we're motivated by all of these things, and he's speaking into our lives? saying, I want you to be motivated by these things, but I know you're sometimes motivated by those other things, and I want to speak into those. The reality in our lives is that if we mostly are motivated by these bottom things, in my opinion, then it begins to weigh on us. We come, br- become more burdened by these motivations rather than actually moving into something new. These motivations start to, to feel heavy, and we're carrying them around. We get consumed by them. And when we are consumed by them, it's harder and harder to tap into the kingdom motivations, the mission motivations, because of the weight that we're carrying. So I want to use this chain as an illustration, okay? So I got this at the hardware store, and I was with my husband, and he was like, after you use it for a sermon illustration, we can put it downstairs in the weight room and put it around our necks and do squats. I just thought that was weird, so I thought I'd share it. It's first year of marriage, sometimes you just need to let other people into it. You know, it's really strange. So, it's heavy. That's why you said that. So I want to use this chain as an illustration. If you're holding on to a, something heavy like this, a burden like fear in your life, and at first you're just holding on to some of it, right? But as you continue to live motivated by this time and time again, you pick up more and more. And soon you're carrying a lot of weight around with you. And so when there's something that might be a little bit risky, when there's something that feels like a calling, maybe some of you have felt like God wants you to step into something new in your life, but you're so scared about what that could mean. It's like not only will I have to move forward in this brave way with courage while I'm afraid, but I'm carrying all of this with me. And this is what we mean when we use the illustration of chains that hold us back. This is what we mean when we use this illustration to say... That there's chains in our life, like fear, that hold us captive from what God might want in our lives. And we have an enemy, I believe, who wants us to carry around heavy chains so that we're held back and held captive from what God is doing because the enemy's number one mission is to thwart God's mission. And here's the reality. We're going to talk about this over the next few weeks as we are going to enter into a conversation around spiritual warfare a little bit kind of broach that subject together, but here's a little little teaser. The enemy of God cannot stop God's mission. The enemy can only frustrate it, and some of you know what that's like in your lives to have something you know God's calling you to, but the enemy's frustrating it in your life, and I think that this is what it looks like for us to have this fear as chains holding us back. Fear maybe that our needs aren't going to be met. Fear maybe that We aren't doing our duty. And if we stay stay stuck in that, we can get into a spot where we are very much held back from what God's calling us into. And here Jesus is noticing, if I don't confront the fear and some of that human motivation, I'm not going to be able to cast a vision for the mission motivation that I want them to have in their life. That Jesus was speaking into these people and speaks into us today. So, Jesus is the one who has to break the chains. It's not about us getting stronger and stronger so that we can do it ourselves. However, I do think God builds capacity in us and Jesus leads us. So there's two things I want you to think about. This is for this whole conversation we've had. Two things I want you to take with you as we finish up this conversation. The first thing is to actually ask God and ask God's spirit into your life to confront your fear. Some of you are... That's actually the scariest thing, is what if I actually let God's light into some of the dark places in my heart? And oftentimes, we can be our biggest barrier to allowing God to confront that fear, because I don't think God's going to always force us. Will we welcome Jesus into our heart to help confront and shed light on some of that fear? Are we willing to do that? That's the first thing that I want you to hold onto as we go from this conversation, Wherever you're at with this, just let God into it a little bit more. And then secondly, what does it look like to take a step of courage? Because it takes trust. It takes faith and courage to stop running from our fears, to stop hiding from our fears or hiding them, to stop repressing or suppressing or denying our fears, and to begin to step towards them with courage, knowing that they don't have to hold us captive anymore. While we're inviting God's spirit in, we begin to take, even if it's scary, a step forward into that fear, knowing that God is with us, God goes before us, behind us, and is with us no matter what. So what is that for you? What is just one area in your life? What's that part of your life that when you think about it, like maybe right now, you're trying not to because it gives you that knot in your stomach? What are those things that flash through your mind that you just try to to block out? You don't want to think about it. What are the things that you have in your mind that can make your heart beat a little bit faster and start to race? What are some things you know you're holding back from God and God wants you to bring it to him? What feels like chains that you are carrying around that are holding you back? I know some of mine. I know what some of those things are, if I'm honest not easy to admit them but I actually want to admit two of them to you guys today even though it's a little scary I have two deep fears that have been a part of my life for a long time and they probably always will be I will have to always confront them like Jesus does when he says I can see that you're afraid the first one for me is at times I can be overcome with fear that I'm doing something wrong okay like there's only one right way to do something and I can totally see where some of this came from in my life. And, and when I'm making a really big decision, it's like there's only one thing and it's not nuanced at all. There's not five options and I can pick a good one. There's one. And I better get it right. And if I don't get it right, some sort of disaster might happen. And maybe some of you share this fear with me. It can lead to perfectionism. It can lead to anxiety, especially when faced with big decisions. The second fear that I'll admit to you today is that times I get overwhelmed that with this, this, this feeling, this thought, this fear that someone in my life whom I love is going to get hurt or is going to die. Now this makes total sense in my life because most of my life growing up until I was 17, my dad was very sick and he died when I was 17. And so I, I used to have experiences where the phone call would ring and it would be bad news and we would race to the hospital multiple times in my life from when I was seven until I was 17. And so today, I, I'll have these experiences where I think, this fear is good. I'm doing good in this area. And the phone will ring, and for some reason, I'll see the, who's calling, and I will be overwhelmed with fear that there's bad news on the other end. I wasn't even thinking about it, but it overcomes me. And, and I just picture in my head that something happened to my mom or my brother or my husband. There, I can picture them in a ditch somewhere or something. Maybe some of you are like, oh, great, you just shared that one with me. I wasn't even thinking about that, but... You guys, this overcomes me sometimes. Just think about those two examples in my life and can you see how it would hold me back from all that God wants for me in my life? If I stay in a place where I'm motivated by fear, then I will seek out self-centered perfectionism instead of sacrificial love to make decisions in my life. Do you see how that becomes about me and not about who God's wanting me to see around me in my life? If I stay in that fear, that I'm motivated by, I will become risk adverse. I'll become somebody who cannot tolerate risk because I'm so afraid of the dangers for me or somebody that I love. And I might encourage somebody to make a safe decision when it's actually a dangerous decision because it's not what God wants for them. And I might step into that because this is what this type of fear can do because I have to trust God that even if the worst happens, which I just told you, I watched my dad leave this earth. I was there. I know that God was with me and that God will be with me no matter what happens. But I have to trust that or the fear will overcome me. And I have to be willing to take risks when God leads me to. If God couldn't overcome that fear in my life, I wouldn't be standing here with you right now as a pastor because fear of perfectionism and fear of making a risky decision would have held me back, I promise you. What might it be for you? And I just want you to think of one step, just one step that you can take this week maybe, maybe sometime later this month, one step that you can take. Perhaps it's being willing to take a step towards reconciliation in a relationship that has just been so rough. You're willing to initiate a conversation. Maybe it's time to admit some of your fear out loud to somebody that you love so that God's light can be shed on it so that it doesn't have to have power over you. Someone that you can trust. Maybe it's time to seek out a counselor or a spiritual director. I'm always telling you I have lists for this, you guys. I've never had someone come back and tell me that they regretted it. Myself included in the time I've spent with a therapist. Maybe you know that you need to make an appointment this week to see a doctor about that thing. Don't tell us about it right now, but about that thing that you know that you're nervous about and you don't wanna know what the doctor has to say about it, but you have gotta step into that fear. Perhaps you know you need to take a step of faith and begin to look towards a career change. Or maybe there's something in addition to your daily vocation that God's asking you to step into, but you're afraid of what it might mean you have to give up. Maybe God has put a mission on your heart, and it's time to consider to to start joining a missional community or maybe starting one about that thing that God just won't let you let go of, but there's so much fear. Perhaps you know that God wants you to confront debt and finances in your life and you need some help we've got people who do financial coaching but man is that scary to step into that but it's holding you back from God's mission in your life and perhaps you know you know that God's calling you to God's self to come into some spiritual practices in this new year that will daily remind you or weekly remind you of God's love for you And maybe it just feels scary because you've never really done centering prayer before. Or maybe you've never really tried to read the Bible every day and you're not sure what it means. But you've got to overcome that fear because God wants you to know him and be known by him. This is love and identity and purpose and calling and vision. I don't know what it is for you. I'm going to stop with the examples because you have to think of it for yourself. One step that you can take. Not how you can fix the whole thing, but one step that you can take. Because it's going to get heavier and heavier and these chains will continue to hold you back. So I want you to think about these two things. First, what does it look like to let God into your life to break the chains of fear in your life? And what is one step you can begin to take? Letting other people help you do that. We're going to to take communion like we do every week and this can be a turning point moment for you. Fear typically doesn't disappear overnight you guys, but if you let Jesus in at the beginning of the process and taking a step of faith one day at a time. Jesus can work with you to conquer that fear and to to break the chains of fear in your life. When we take communion, we're celebrating this reality that Jesus ate this bread, right? He ate it with the disciples after he came back to life and their eyes were opened. And I think when we have this experience together, there's times when God opens our eyes because we touch and we taste and we're together together. And I think Jesus is wanting us to remember that his body was broken for us, his blood was shed for us to conquer death, and in so doing, conquering the power that fear has in our lives. That's what he did on that cross. So that even when we encounter fear in our lives, it doesn't have to have the final word. And it doesn't have to dictate how we live our lives because we have a motivation that's bigger and deeper and more important than all the things that our human motivation. Can be a part of. I'm going to have the band come back up. And uh, earlier, Ashish introduced a new song. We were all clapping. You guys, everyone's working on the clapping thing. It's kind of hard. I know. But I love some of the words of the song, particularly the idea that God's love is our battle cry. Love and battle don't seem like they go together, but oh man, do they. God's love is the highest motivation, you guys. And it has to be the battle cry as we go into spiritual battles, as we go into battling the fear with God. In the name of Jesus, in the name of love, we can live our lives compelled by love, the highest motivation. And then the song says, every chain of the past you've broken into over fear, over lies, and then we're singing the truth that nothing's impossible for you. You hear that? The chains And I want to tell you today, there is no chain in your life that God can't break. I don't always know why it takes time sometimes. I don't always know why God doesn't break chains in our life immediately every time we ask for it. But I believe that every chain in our life can be broken. So I'm going to ask you to do something today. Don't be scared. It's a little different. It's never happened before that I know of, but we're going to try. Okay? Can I get a nod? Okay. So we're going to take communion, and when you come up to take communion, you take the bread and you dip it into the cup. Anybody who's a follower of Jesus or who's really trying to seek out who Jesus is in their life is welcome to do this. And then we're going to have some people buy these hearts over here. The hearts are representing um, this idea that God's love is the highest form of motivation. And Jesus speaks do not be afraid to those other motivations in our life. And I'm going to actually invite you with a bolt cutter. not kidding to actually break a chain, okay? And after you break the chain, you'll be left with a little piece of, of chain like this. And I want you to take it with you, and I want you to think about those two things, praying that God would break the chains in your life and come into your life, and what is that one step? I want you to put this somewhere so that you take that step. And so these people will help you if, please do not let my little niece help somebody with a bolt cutter, and if it's not easy for you to do that, then they'll, they'll cut it for you. It's not a big deal. I'm not trying to freak anybody out. But why am I doing this? I'm doing this for the same reason that Jesus wanted his disciples to see him and to feel him, to touch him, to smell the fish, to have a body, full body experience, to remember it. Because this is how important this is, you guys. Maybe in my life now, more than ever in the history of my life, this is so important that As people who follow Jesus we live out of a different motivation than the rest of the world okay so one more time two lines here and here you take the bread dip it into the cup and then two lines at those people who will help you to cut the little bolt and then you can go back to your seat and if you're totally freaked out they'll help you good let me pray Jesus we thank you for who you are we thank you that you promised to be with us And some of us here are discouraged because we've asked you to break chains in the past and it hasn't happened, but we're here again. And we're asking you, Jesus, to break the chains that hold us captive of fear, of anxiety, of guilt, of shame, of doubt. God, break the chains. We thank you, Jesus, that you didn't just tell us from some mysterious place that you would do this, but you came to this earth and you showed us and you took our place for us. You took death upon yourself so we didn't have to face it in the same way. So we have a vision of the future where we can live forever with you. We thank you. We love you. Lead us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I just want to encourage you. Uh, Someone just told me that they just felt like God's presence really came and broke some chains in this room or wants to. And the number one thing that happens after that, in my experience, is that the enemy tells you that you're alone and there's not anybody to do this with you. And I want to tell you that that is a lie. And I want to give a very specific invitation. The, the Kaihai family opens up their home every Tuesday night, for every mu- first Tuesday night of the month, right? First Tuesday night of the month, from 8 to 9. And next, the next one will be February 6th. And they're going to be willing to share some fears in their lives and invite you to come share. You are not alone. You are not alone. So if you want information, just email info at millcitychurch.com. We'll let you know. Promise me that if you feel that God's doing something in your life, you won't keep it to yourself. You'll let other people in there with you to help you. Let me send you, God, may you empower these people to step one step at a time towards the fear that might be in their life. Knowing that you are with them, that you never leave them, you will not forsake them. And they're not alone on this earth, you've given us to each other. God, may you break the chains. In the power of Jesus' name, may you break the chains. Amen.